0: dot com. Welcome to Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors. Today's guest is Taja Dorkendorf, who is the Pulp & Wire founder and owner. Hey, Taja, how are you?
1: Hi, pleasure. Thanks, Corey, for having me.
0: Oh, it's an honor to have you on the show. We've gone back and forth a little bit, but I, I'm excited to hear about your background. What What got you to this point in your career?
1: Oh, goodness. All right. That's a bit of a longer story. I (laughs) initially started out as an industrial designer. So my love for automobiles and cars, and a really, it's a 360 immersive experience of what happens when you're in a vehicle, which is really what drew me ultimately, my background as a designer, to the CPG category. So consumer packaged goods, because that same feeling you get when you sit in a car is the same feeling you should have when you're buying a product. It is Touch, taste, smell, feel, story. It's an immersive experience. So, actually, that's the short version of my story, but that's really (laughs) what's gotten me to where I am today. And Pulp and Wire, our focus really is in that consumer CPG category for food, beverage, wellness, and cannabis. We do a lot with also B2B companies in the more sustainable space as well. And everything from market research all the way through creative and how that market research comes to life beautifully. Because without, you can have beautiful creative, but if it's not founded in research. It doesn't always work as well. (laughs) The last piece is how do you bring it to market? So you can have the most beautiful, creative, founded in research, but if you don't know how to bring it to market or have consumers know that you exist, it doesn't really go anywhere. So those are the three parts of the company that we focus on.
0: Great point. Great points. And what was your last job before this job?
1: So I've always been on the design side, on the agency side. And that honestly, as a designer, that was a big part of me creating the company was as the designer, inside the other agencies and learning everything I wanted to be, where I wanted to sit at the table, who I wanted to show up as for the brands and how I would want to help them move forward and be more effective with how we're bringing creative to life across all these different modalities.
0: That's amazing. A lot of people don't know this, but I studied advertising in college and Uh. wanted, wanted to do what you do. And that was my original career choice. Actually, my first choice was punk rock band then advertising agency, then packaging. So interesting how we all weave our way into this world, right?
1: We do. And I didn't think my path was going to lead me to graphic design in particular. I remember my father joking with me in high school when I was looking at art schools. And he said, you should look at graphic design. I said, no, never. I go, the last thing I ever want to be doing is staring at a computer all day long at a desk. And lo and behold, I have a standing desk. So I like to think I didn't fully fall. But yeah, here we are.
0: You've succeeded then. That's it. You win. <laughs> I love that. So what is Pulp and Wire? Is, you guys are an agency? Is that?
1: Well, there's 20 of us. So we're yeah. bigger than a studio. Yeah. I think agency can be such a cold term. But yeah, that's probably where we land.
0: Well, it doesn't have to be. It sounds like you have a, a great agency that's very warm and uh, very inviting. We
1: really try. It's very much based on, I mean, again, coming as that designer from the inside, looking out, it's a very solution oriented. We want to create the most beautiful packaging that's founded in research with growth and trend and audience in mind. And again, sustainability, who are we talking to and how are we going to create the best product to speak to them? But we want to do that by hearing from the client and being collective teams. So yes, it is I I go for long-term client relationships and how we can keep them long-term so that we can continue to see their brands grow, which is a really important part for me. But I do think that brings the warmth to what we do. We care. There's passion involved in what we do.
0: It sounds like there's a lot of empathy and passion. And that, to me, is the key with all of this business stuff that we do.
1: If you don't love what you do, why are you doing it?
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. time Time to try something new. I agree. So, what lessons have you learned when when you're working with all of these startups, as far as c- trying to focus on sustainable packaging? Like, let's say you had a customer or a, a client come to you and they said, "We want to be sustainable," and you tried and it didn't work, or or you you did something and it worked. You know, yeah. tell us about that.
1: Well, I think the biggest if someone if a client comes to us and says we want a sustainable brand, the first thing we unpack is what does sustainability mean to you. Yes and that is the, that's the key because they sometimes don't know. It's a buzzword. Well, we just we know we should be sustainable. We know we shouldn't harm the earth. We know we should not be in plastic or we know we shouldn't import all of our products or our ingredients from China. Well, well what does that mean? Do you want to create more US jobs? Do you want to, you know, what does the carbon footprint look like? And if you want to make your own custom packaging, do you have the money to do that? <laughs> Right. And so there's so many questions that when I hear sustainability that kind of set off different you know triggers in my mind of, okay, what does that mean to you? We've had a recent client that we did work for, a cannabis client. They're based here in Maine called Sweet Dirt. And we did all their cannabis packaging for them. And the the paper, so this this was an interesting sustainability story that didn't mean to happen this way, but they wanted to be as sustainable as they could. So we made sure that with our folded boxes that they were folded, not having glue. And if there was glue, it had to be fully, like ultimately water soluble. We used a foil that was recyclable and compostable, which is fascinating because I didn't know that that existed (laughs) until we got into that phase.
0: I didn't either. That's great.
1: The packaging was done by a printer an hour and a half north of us where our studio is. The client was in Maine. And then the paper was from the sappy mill that was just up the road from the printer. So the paper, the process, the printing, everything was within one and a half states of rotation before it got to the end user. And that to me was a totally different sustainability story than what some people think about sustainability, you know, do you I want to be that. recyclable compostable? What does that look like? So that was kind of a fun one for me, but I always, I always push it back to the client and I say, sustainability is an amazing place to be. And it's something to, you know, strive for, but you also have to be mindful of the product. Because you can't jeopardize the product for sustainability sometimes because then you're jeopardizing the user experience or they're getting a product that they don't like and they're never going to buy it again. Great. And then you can't make a difference and you can't put out a sustainable product. So it can be a well vicious said.
0: Yeah. Great points. It's so key that if, if we ship something to someone and it's broken or we ship someone to someone and it's stale or gone bad, <laughs> these things are not sustainable anymore. And that's and, I, I totally agree with you,
1: and that's the issue I think we're still up against with compostability and recyclability is that the freshness just isn't there. I've seen a couple, and I think it's sappy that are starting to do gusseted pouches with it's a waxed lined paper bag that is fully compostable, which is <laughs> awesome, and they do testing on it from a freshness standpoint, and it's it's really close to being there. But again, the barrier cost. you know, if a okay. lot of people aren't demanding the stock for their product, the cost goes up, supply chain issues that we're starting to see. So again, what does sustainability really mean for the brand? And if that's part of their mission, how do you weave it into that, you know, their ethos?
0: That is such a good point. We, we need to push this issue so that these items become more cost-effective and mainstream and available. All of these words are, are we're not there yet, right?
1: Well, so. exactly. And I had someone say to me the other day, they were like, is sustainability becoming like a, like natural or all natural? Is it becoming a greenwash term? And I think you and I spoke about this a little bit also, yeah. you know, prior is, and that's such an interesting piece for me. It's like, oh my gosh, is that becoming the new all natural where it's just assumed or, you know, how are people taking advantage of that term and really not being as sustainable as maybe what their audience thinks they are. See that at all? I'd be curious on your standpoint
0: on that. Oh, there's so much greenwashing. It, it's very sad and it's very frustrating from some someone who really is sustainable and does sustainable things with packaging. There's so many things that we see that you know they say recyclable, they say recycled. We know they're not. It says number seven with a recycle symbol around it. That's not recyclable. That's other. Come on, guys, just say what it is and let's be honest with each other. Right.
1: And I'm all all for the idea of having that recyclability, that ultimate compostability, but it does make it tough when to compost it, you have to send it to a certain composting plant. You can't just throw it in your backyard (laughs) in the dirt. And I think that is that barrier still where people are like, oh, well, you're saying that it's compostable, but I have to I have to send it back to this company, or I've got to do this to really make a difference. And I appreciate the fact that they're not using plastic or they're using more of a earth friendly plastic, but there's still barriers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I interviewed a great company, the CEO, Kate, from Sun and Swell, Mm -hmm. and they're working on this project locally where you can send it back to them Mm -hmm. and they will industrial compost packaging and it's working for them. And, you know, if more companies could do that kind of thing, we could really make a major impact, but it would have to be, like you said, kind of regional. And, well, and yeah, interesting.
1: one of one of my other clients, Tierra Farm. They they basically cut out twelve million dollars of business in their wholesale side because they didn't want to sell in plastic clamshells anymore. Wow. yeah. So if you're looking for a really a brand that cares, Tierra Farm. They're in upstate New York, and they do organic granolas and nuts and seeds and chocolate covered, you know, delicious, you know, sundries and things <laughs> like that. But they, they did, they, they basically stopped that whole side of their business that was selling anything in plastic. And they are using a company called Elevate, totally give them a plug, but they have the compostable zipper top gusseted bags that are being used. And again, in some cases, if you don't have, if you're, if your state recycling or the town that you're in doesn't have that certain type of recycling, you can just send the bags back to the company and they'll take care of it. But most, at least here in Maine, you know, they're easy to be compostable and recycled, which is really it's cool. A- so that level of sustainability, I do love seeing with some of our brands who are just like, all right, we don't want to make the world a worse place. And we realize that we're going to lose money doing it. But in the end, we're winning.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like it creates a loyal customer?
1: I think it does. If you put the message out there the right way, they right. have to know. And again, this comes back to what I was talking about before is that if the, you could have this great ethos and this great mission, but if you're not telling your story properly, and you're not getting it out there, no one's going to know what you're doing. And then it's kind of like for nothing. So it is, it's part of, you got to be noisy when you do it and be able to back it up too. And that's, I mean, that is a good place for social media and LinkedIn and, you know, newsletters and any opportunity podcasts to tell that story.
0: I agree. Love podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about the name, where did pulp and wire, where did that come from?
1: So I, when I first started the company, it was at TDOC Creative Partners, and that was as just myself and then, you know, an account manager, my intern. And as the company grew and I was in a huge loft space up in like a third floor of an old warehouse and I was moving the company to a new location and the location where we still are today was right at ground level in an old retail space, right in the heart of the old port, which is lovely, but I didn't want my name on the windows. And that was, it came down to, that was the name that worked then when I was starting off, but it wasn't who I wanted to be. And it wasn't because really I didn't want the brand to be about me. I wanted to be about the work that we do and kind of the lifeline of the work that we do. So in the back of my mind, I'd always had kind of pulp and wire floating around there, thinking that pulp is really where the packaging starts, the paper pulp. So it is the foundational piece of packaging. And then wire is how we bring it to market. So how we're then getting the word out there and how we are pushing, you know, what it is that we're creating out to the masses so that they can, again, you know, take part in a sustainable or an earth friendly product and be excited about it. So it's those two dichotomies of how it's created and then how we push it out there. I mean, lots of different things. I mean, you know, the Pulp Fiction side or Pulp Orange (laughs) juice and fresh squeeze. We'll take all of it. You know, it all all works if you spin it the right way. Yeah. I didn't want my name on the windows. And that's really what it came down to. <laughs> I wanted something that was more collective of what my team did as I was growing and something that everyone could rally around versus a law firm that felt like it had someone's name on it.
0: Oh, I like that. It definitely sounds, it's very unique and it's very intriguing. So when you guys contacted me, I was very interested immediately.
1: <laughs> do we do paper mache? Or are we creating a <laughs> thing? You never know. It's a toss up. I,
0: I thought it was a magazine at first and I thought, oh no, this is really cool. So... Well done. Good job. Thank you. Um, so can you tell us a story about something that's happened in your recent times that was kind of funny or interesting? A quick break for our sponsor this month. Now is the time to go beyond recycling. SmartSalt Pioneers certified Bio based water soluble packaging technologies that empower consumers and businesses to effortlessly reduce plastic waste. Our non toxic materials quickly and completely disperse when combined with water and agitation, thus making them easily recyclable, biodegradable, and even zero waste. If zero waste packaging interests you, please contact us today at infosmartsolve.com. At
1: Oh, funny or interesting. I don't know. It's funny. I think we've all kind of gone through this and which has been like the the COVID change that we've all seen. You know, I don't know if it's really humorous for us. It's, it was life-changing in a lot of different ways because we had to pivot very quickly and I'm never one to kind of curl up in a ball and die. It's more like, okay, where's the solution and how are we going to move it forward? What was interesting from it was seeing how all of our brands changed and evolved and how their mission and their ethos and better for you brands really evolved with it too. So you'd assume that supply chain things changed, things weren't available. So we saw, you know, brands wanting to create something new in the space, but having to use more off the shelf packaging, but then looking at how do we create, you know, sustainable labeling systems, or how do we create a new soapbox that's just a folded piece. What I do think is interesting is how brands have evolved during COVID and their thoughtfulness as to how they're really speaking to the customer versus trying to talk at them. I know we were kind of moving that way anyway, but really being able to see the opportunity of them telling the story that consumers really resonate with and bringing in the the emotional tactile pieces and speaking to where the consumer is in their buying behavior and on the shelf or honestly online, because that's where everyone was, that change I think is the most interesting thing that we've seen is that brands really started to listen and they're now really putting it into effect.
0: It absolutely feels like people are are putting their money where their mouth is and, and really making changes that are positive and really doing what their consumer's want. I agree. It's it's an interesting positive benefit of this very strange last couple of years.
1: Have you seen that too? Have you seen that that shift and that change, especially in the oh, brands yeah. you're talking to?
0: Yeah, and you know, it's no longer well, we'd really like to be sustainable. It's we're going to be sustainable. Yeah. Help us or move out of the way and and show us who can help us. And yeah. it's like aggressive and I love it. And it makes me happy because so many years, I just celebrated my 20th year with Landsberg Aurora and so many years, so many times people have said, oh yeah, we'd like to be, you know, it used to be called green. Remember that? Yeah. They would say, we want to be green. And I would say, okay, great. Here's some options for you. That's too expensive. Like, mm-hmm. well, that's green. <laughs> Back then it was 10, 20% more.
1: Yeah, now, well, it it's, was. And it's you not. Know, not. Back in that time, everything had to have green on it to begin with to look natural <laughs> and it needed to be craft paper or something of a natural texture. And I think that's, again, a really interesting change that we've seen over the past five years. It's just the creative explosion that all nat- we don't even say all natural anymore. It's, it's organic. <laughs> right. You know, right. it, it's, it's non-GMO and then how there are no more rules when it comes to organic and all natural it, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to look a certain way to have someone Goodness. perceive you as a natural product. I think that's, what's really been fun and opened up the floodgates to of this really cool design that we're seeing out there.
0: It does seem like it's improved a lot. I agree.
1: It's punchy. Have- right. We're like, you know, you can have a totally organic product that looks like it's rooted in the eighties and it still works. And the messaging is in a, you know in alignment with the consumer and what they're shopping for. And then of course the packaging, what does it feel like? And how are they, what's their unboxing experience at home? That's creating mm-hmm. consumer longevity.
0: We like to say at Landsberg, it's the promise of what's inside.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and that we love that about packaging. It's so, it's so exciting, you know, so, so, especially when
1: you can have those little moments of like awe or intrigue when you're opening a box and it's like a little message on the flap or an Easter egg, as we call it, something that you're not expecting within the packaging. That's always the nice little, you know, fun moment where consumers can really engage.
0: I love that. And that's what they post on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm,
1: exactly. <laughs> that's how you. That's how you get the product into the home and then you have a relationship with the customer and then they're sharing it because they're excited because they found something that maybe they didn't think someone else had seen.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, I have a question for you that I think is very specific to you. And I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I, I know of a company called Free Water. They were on the podcast. And have you heard of them? No. They give away water. Mm-hmm. And that water has advertising on the label to pay for the water. So do you feel like that's possible with other kinds of packaging in the future? meaning a CPG company could sell the space on the back of the tube or to a to another company that's maybe in line with their values. And then that is guaranteed to get into their consumer base.
1: Wow. That's interesting because I had not heard of that before. I That would take some market testing, honestly. And I would really want to dig into where, where those products are being sold. So if it's being sold in the Whole Foods, which is a perceived buying experience and different, you know, brands and stuff like, that. and you pick up your favorite, you know, organic vegan plant-based macaroni and cheese, and you turn it over and there's an ad for Kellogg's. (laughs) I mean, so then are you creating distrust all of a sudden inadvertently or a brand that maybe they didn't have a good experience with, but how would you know that as the brand? And now all of a sudden they're not purchasing your product because of a separate experience that you had no control over. Yeah. So there's so many, like, and I guess that's more the psychology that I kind of go into is, oh, how is that going to affect the buyer in the moment when they're buying it on the shelf? It's one thing if you're direct to consumer. So right. if you're D2C and you're online, you're buying it, it's kind of like Rue La, La used to do this in some of the in home shopping boxes. They'd throw in a coupon of another brand, or here's a sample of another product because it's already in your home. You're not going to send it back and be like, Oh, why are you, why are you marketing to me this way? But I do worry for those who are actually in the midst of the buying experience and on the shelf and in the aisle, would that be a turnoff to them? Cause you can't control the experience huh. that they have had up to that point.
0: Great point. Great point. And
1: it's fascinating. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's it, a great way for brands to work together, but maybe it's on the inside. <laughs> Maybe it's on the inside where <laughs> it's a little, it's a coupon that says, yeah. Hey, you, if you loved our product, we'd love to introduce you to our friends at X. And, you know, actually that does bring me to an, a, a personal antidote here where yeah. I was buying brand new brand. I wanted to try them and I purchased online and as part of their online purchase, when I was checking out, they said, Oh, do you want to add on these other products? And they were not products that were theirs. They were friends of the brand. So other brands that they were trying to promote.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, I want to try this product. Sounds awesome. So it's very similar but how they were doing it in the direct to consumer side online. Hmm. However, the the process and was not great. So what happened was I got my product. They never shipped out the other, cause it was another drop ship from the other company. So the logistics were not, they were still working out the logistics. I think it mm. just, it wasn't tight. So I never got my product from the other company. It shipped somewhere in San Francisco, landed there. They said, oh, it's been delivered. It took me three or four customer service emails to explain the situation to then get me over to the other company to explain the situation again, to be like, I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, it shows it's delivered. I'm like, I'm not in San Francisco. <laughs> it's no fault of their own. But what happened was because of that, it changed my opinion of both brands. And it was, they they tried really hard, but at the same time, I was like, this is way too much work to get what a small $10 add-on was. And it was more like, I just want to let you know, this is what's happening. You're both young brands. You're trying to figure it out. But unfortunately it kind of like, by the time I got it, I was like, well, it's about time.
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, you did get it eventually.
1: I had to do a lot of work to ultimately get it and i think would i would i buy from them again i don't know i probably wouldn't go through that experience again so i would be weary of doing another add on because that experience was just convoluted
0: that's fascinating yeah so many opportunities with advertising and marketing i'm i'm a huge fan and a student i will always learn and listen and enjoy it so well done
1: Well, and I think what I would have preferred to your point, when you talk about advertising on the back, throw a coupon inside, throw a little extra something, send the order out and be like, Hey, these are our friends at so-and-so we'd love to give you 30% off on us. If you'd like to try their product, then let me go to their website and order directly. I think it's when things become too confusing and technology sometimes gets the better of us and it's not tight and it's not slick. That's where you can, you know, lose consumer trust. But if it's a coupon and you're driving the process and you're saying, these are our friends, we think you're going to love them great. Let them like then have that adventure on their own.
0: Excellent. So how do people get in touch with you guys?
1: Oh, so I mean, you can find me on Instagram just under at Taja, T-A-J-A. I was a very early adopter of Instagram. That's how I got that. Wow. (laughs) Just my name. However, it's awesome. I get an alert from Instagram two or three times a day that someone's trying to reset my password. So that's always fun. You can find me on LinkedIn, Taja Dockendorf at Pulp and Wire on Instagram and pulpandwire.com. And it's all spelled out, P-U-L-P-A-N-D-W-I-R-E.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Taja. Thank you, Landsberg Aurora, for sponsoring this podcast. We appreciate it. If you're listening, please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode. And we would appreciate a review if you have a minute. Thank you so much. Thank you, Corey. This episode is sponsored by SpecRite, the first purpose-built platform for specification management. So much has changed when it comes to packaging, and there's a new book to help you stay ahead of the curve, The Evolution of Products and Packaging, written by longtime packaging executive Mr. Matthew Wright, helps you unpack industry trends and explains how you can use data to drive packaging innovation and sustainability. Download your free copy today at backslash specrightcom backslash book. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T dot com backslash book.